continue our study through Paul's epistle to Titus. Please turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, I'll read the chapter and we shall focus our attention on verse 9 and 10. Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts to receive your word this afternoon. Grant us meekness, grant us humility and submission to it. Help that your spirit may grant us revelation and truth into your word. Indeed, your word is true. We pray that you may sanctify us by your word. Uh, help that uh, um, we might not simply be hearers of it, but also be doers of it. Grant us much grace, Lord, for we know that we are feeble men and women. Grant us much grace and strengthen our inner man that we may receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Tomorrow will mark the beginning of a working day. Um, <clears throat> and some of you will drag your body out of bed to work. Some of you, it will be to school. 
the question I'd like to ask you this afternoon. What is it that motivates you to go, get out of bed in the morning to go to work? What difference should the Christian make as they go to work, as they go to school, as they labor at home? That's a question that the passage before us this evening is seeking to address. The passage before us is giving us an outline of the character of the Christian worker. That's the title of the sermon this evening, the character of a Christian worker. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We have the first character, verse 9, of submission. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. We have the second character in verse 9. They are to be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. They are to be excellent. Verse 9. Verse 10, you have... Sorry, the end of verse 9, you have the third character, not argumentative, as the third character of the Christian worker. And then, verse 10, we have the fourth character, not pilfering. That means... They should be honest. The character of honesty. And then fifth and lastly, we have the fifth character showing all good faith. The character of loyalty. <coughs> and here we continue with Paul's instruction to Titus. And what's important for us here is to understand the principle because you realize back then there was slavery and uh, the important thing for us to get out of this in the, this evening is is the principle that we should have the right perspective as regards to the social order regarding employment and so this passage speaks directly to our current circumstances our calling our vocation our station in which god has called us to serve him it should be said also that as we go through these instructions regarding older men, older women, young men, young women, employers, employees, it should be seen that this is the outflowing of God's work in our soul. That Jesus Christ saves his people by grace alone. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ gave his life for us to deliver us from all our sins. He suffered a righteous judgment for our sin. That's the good news for us. And those who have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from judgment and from eternal damnation. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so the question of whether you are a Christian or not is answered very easily. Do you have the Son of God? If you have Christ, you have eternal life. And God can never take that away from you. If you do not have Christ, you have nothing. 
no righteous deeds, nothing of your own can save you from eternal damnation. And so it should be seen here that all these instructions are the outpouring of the working grace in us. And so we see in verse 14 that we are saved, we are a people for his own possession who are zealous to do these good works. This gospel that saves us is also the gospel that transforms us. It saves us from eternal hell. It also saves us unto good works. <clears throat> so as we begin, we should be able to see as well that this godly character re- relating to employers and employees is the greatest evangelistic tool to this world. And so we're going to look at the first point, the one of submission. The scripture says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. So the first Christian virtue is that of subjection. And the word submission here means to get in line and authority of someone above you. You have it when wives are called to submit to their husbands, when children are called to submit to their parents, when citizens are called to submit to the government, when older women, sorry, older, younger women are called to submit to older women, the same with younger men are called to submit to older men. And here we find that workers are to submit to their master. Employees are to submit to their employers. And he says that it is in everything. Even if your employer is a difficult person, even if he's a perverse person, even if, as First Peter 2.8 says, they are unreasonable, they are unjust, you have to submit to them. And when you say in everything, it means that in everything that is lawful, should be said also that there's an important connection in the Bible between submission and silence. Women are called to be in subjection and to be in silent and to be silent to the church. Children are called not to talk back to their parents. To talk back is a form of disrespect. Job, when he comes before God, God asks him in Job chapter 40 verse 2, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job in 40 verse 4 says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job was saying, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to cover my mouth. That's a sign of submission to the Lord. And so murmuring, complaining, those are signs of insubordination and that's common with children isn't it <clears throat> murmuring as well and complaining uh, murmuring and complaining as well can be in the heart so that as an employee you do what is expected of you 
but there are grumbles. There's complaining. There's murmuring inside of you. And the only reason you may fear to grumble is maybe you fear you lose your job. Or you fear you'll be punished in some sort by your employer. And so it's not simply putting your hand on your mouth, but also stopping the grumbling from your heart. God calls his people to a life of submission, a life of deferring to others, a life of respecting those in authority. This principle is embedded in the Ten Commandments. In the Fifth Commandment, it says, Honor your father and mother. And we saw this commandment that it relates to every authority that is there in life. All of us are commanded to submit to relevant authorities. And so this idea of submission is embedded in the moral law of God. The Christian is called to put away rebellion against authority because rebellion against authority is a symptom of a deeper rebellion against God. Rebellion in this relationship is a mark of ungodliness. It's a mark that repentance is needed. And so rebellion is never a godly attitude, except when we are called to obey God rather than man. So to submit in this context means to accept your position, to be compliant within it. As an employee, you have a supervisor. You have an employer. The Christian should be able to see that those in authority have been ordained by God. And I should be subject to them. I should be compliant. I should be cooperative in that environment. I should have a positive pursuit to honor them. When you teach children submission, we teach them that they should do so with cheerfulness, isn't it? That they should do so with a positive attitude. That they should do so with quickness in listening. We expect our children to submit to their parents by doing anything they are obligated to do, even before they are asked. Remember the story of Jacob when he was working for his uncle Laban that he was patient. He complied. His boss was not a very nice man, isn't it? His boss sinned against him, grieved him. Jacob says that Laban cheated and changed his wages ten times. As an example of submission. And when we, sub- when we are submitting, we are submitting to all things that are lawful. And so your employer should not trump your conscience and your soul. When you're required to do something fragrantly sinful, you are under no obligation to comply. You do not need to do everything. Because no one is Lord over your conscience apart from Christ. No one has absolute authority apart from Christ. So that the employer knows that his authority is derived from God. As your minister, 
if I was to tell you to go out and steal something for the church, you're obligated to have a submissive attitude, but not to comply. Because when a pastor instructs their congregant to sing, the congregant is under no obligation to obey. If you're called upon to lie by your parent or to steal, you should respectfully and gently disagree with them. Secondly, second character, verse 9, says that the bond servants, they are to be well-pleasing. The idea there is one of, it means that that the, that the employee is excellent. That the employee is giving the employer complete satisfaction. He's seeking to please the one in authority. And generally, this does not happen, isn't it? Generally, employees do what is required of them and not more, isn't it? We're told here that the employee is to seek to please their boss. And this requires a change of heart, a change of attitude. That someone should be proactive to please the employer. They are to please them in the quality of their work. They are to please them in the quantity of their work. They are to seek to satisfy their employer in their needs. Obviously, some employers are extremely hard to, to please. But the kind of boss that you have, the kind of employer you have, is very secondary to what you're talking about here. Because this is part of good works that has been appointed for us that we might walk in. A good employee will be looking for the welfare of his employ employer, for the welfare of his colleagues, for the welfare of the whole company. And so the Christian must be diligent in their place of work. They must be conscious of their role, of the whole corporate business they are involved in. Their desire should be to please them, to bring blessing to their employer. <clears throat> because your responsibility is not only to your employer, but also for the glory of God. So that a rebellious Christian worker is displeasing to God. And so you, we have to give our best. We have to serve Christ, whether your employer appreciates you or not. Then thirdly, it says, not argumentative. Verse end of verse 9. Not to talk back. Not to argue, not to rebel, but to be compliant. This carries the idea of someone who is obstinate, someone who is resisting, rejecting. People who don't like to be told what to do. People will not listen to the counsel of the employer. They may decide to follow the advice of the employer, 
but they only do the work half-heartedly. So that when the work fails, they seem to be right, isn't it? You see, there's no place for rebelling against authority. There's no place for questioning authority. There's no place of undermining authority. The Christian in the workplace should be known for respecting authority. Except only in instances where they are asked to go against scripture. And so don't talk back to your employer, even if they are unfair to you, even if they do not treat you right. You may be wondering, what if my employer is a Christian? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Let all who are under a yoke as born servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit for their good service are believers and beloved. Paul is saying, if your employer is a believer, is a Christian, don't take them for granted. Don't assume that simply because they are brothers, you can be lazy, you can come to work at late, you can come to work at late and get away with it. Paul is saying, don't take advantage of them. And so, being argumentative can also involve speaking against your employer, whether directly or indirectly, making sarcastic comments, speaking behind their, behind their back. Paul is saying, treat your masters with respect. Don't answer them back. How easy for people to engage in criticism and gossip. How easy is it for people to put down the employers? A Christian is to treat the employer with utmost respect. This is not to say that you cannot raise a concern or a grievance. You can do it in a respectful way, using the right channels. But don't join the crowd of complaining against your employers. Don't contradict your boss in what you're told to do. Colossians 3.22-25 says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people please us, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, you're serving the Lord Christ. That means you should not mock your boss, you should not argue with your boss, you should not speak badly about your boss, you should not undermine his leadership in any way. There's no place for sarcasm, there's no place for gossip. Even when you're treated unfairly in your place of work, you're still called to submit. And you to do so joyfully, cheerfully. Third, uh, fourthly, the fourth character there, pil- not pilfering. Verse 10. Not pilfering. 
should be said that back then the slave had no right he totally belonged to his master he could not vote he could not sign a contract he was simply a piece of property that belonged to their master it was assumed that whatever the the slave took was not stealing it was displacement because they assumed that because i belong to you and i took something that belonged to you that is not stealing but here comes christianity and instead of rising up against the institution of slavery says don't go and steal from your boss simply because he's rich christianity comes and says you are to be subject to your master both your earthly master and your heavenly master that <clears throat> you should not steal but serve don't take something that is not yours that's what it means by not pilfering the same word is used of ananias and sapphira in acts chapter, chapter 5 verse 2 that they held back say don't stick things in your pocket that you do not have permission to take don't keep for yourself things that have been entrusted in your care don't embezzle that's what we have on widespread today many businesses some of them complain that one of their biggest source of losses is stealing from the employers it's from this word that we get the phrase every trick in the trade it was the idea that slaves used every conceivable trick that was known to them to steal from their employers you see the eighth commandment forbids stealing and it forbids stealing in the workplace it forbids stealing of your employer's time because technically your employers are paying for your time please listen don't be distracted with the rain when when you arrive late at work when you leave early when you take an extended break from your employer we are treating that time and we are getting paid for that time and you're stealing from my employer a godly employee will endeavor to be punctual they'll endeavor not to waste away time they'll endeavor to be honest in all their dealings you have today people stealing employers money falsifying financial records juggling records if you're a christian employee and you're involved in stealing your employer's time or resources of any sort your employer will not think of your religion as one that transforms sinners into saints and therefore god is dishonored isn't it everywhere we are to go with the purpose of evangelism thou shall not steal 
that should be a basic moral code. Because all of your work is worship to God. You offer your attitude, your speech, your zeal to God. It should be said that pilfering is bad because trust is broken. Trust is broken between the employer and the employee, and this is a big deal. This practice is also destructive to your own soul. You hurt yourself by stealing. And often it begins by stealing little, and someone graduates into stealing a lot. Fifthly, the fifth character says, but showing all good faith, loyalty. All good faith here means that you're faithful. It means that you're reliable. Loyalty is a word that is rarely used today. Loyalty means that the team is more important than an individual. That the interest of the company is more important than your own interest. That you're loyal to the person you work alongside. You're loyal to employer. And, and we could say that not many people know what loyalty is. People cannot be trusted. People are not faithful. That means, that means that you're dependent upon, you're reliable, you're trustworthy, you're faithful. Your employer should be able to see that when they give you a job, you should be able to get it done. That you keep your word. That you do not take time off unnecessarily. Showing all good faith. What we have today is hardly any loyalty left. The Bible calls Christians to be loyal to your masters. Be faithful, be efficient, be polite. Will it not astonish employers when Christians have opportunity to steal, but they show honesty? When Christians, instead of getting away with as little work as possible, they begin to give themselves to work. Will this not be a testimony to the world that Christians are polite, they are efficient in what they are doing? Don't you think that this will have tremendous influence upon our masters? These are things that are no longer desirable today. There's a total collapse of Christian work ethic. And as a Christian, if you're seated there, this is an opportunity for you to be dependent, to be faithful, to be hardworking. This is an opportunity for you to advance the gospel, the kingdom of God. The old duty 
of this instruction is to put Christ on display with a godly attitude. Because the Christian realizes that he lives all day under the all-seeing eye of God. But the Christian wants to love Jesus. They want to serve Jesus. They want to fellowship with him. They want to have communion with him throughout the day. Because we live God conscious. We are doing everything that we are doing out of love and service for God. The salary that we earn is not our driving force. Our driving force is to glorify God. It's to put Christ on display. Young people in school, you are to be the best students. You should not be accused of stealing exams. There should not be suspicion about it. Whatever gifts God has given you, should be magnified, should be developed for the glory of God. We should be learning a skill set as unto the Lord. We ought to be the best, the most reliable, the most faithful, the most productive, the most valuable people in the area that God has called us. There should be no shortcuts. If you are a janitor prior to your salvation and you only used to sweep on top of the rug, when you become a Christian, you should be able to sweep under the rug and beside the rug. Because whether your employer realizes or not, you're serving under the all-seeing eye of God. You're seeking to honor Him. In your work, you're able to see that God is seeing me. I'm living before His face. And you're doing whatever you're doing before, because you love Him. That's what it means to have good faith. We should seek to defend the name of the employer. When people are trashing your employer, you seek to honor him. This is gospel-centered grace, brethren. It's driven by God consciousness. The Christian realizes that he has two masters. He has his employer and he has his heavenly master. The employer, the earthly master, is not his boss. He is ultimately serving the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then lastly, notice the compelling motivation for all this. At the end there it says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Remember, There are reasons, there, there, there are compelling motivations that are connected with these instructions. Remember verse 5, why should 
younger women submit to older uh, older women why should they do all these things he says at the end of verse 5 so that the word of god may not be revived and then last week we saw in verse 8 why should younger men be self-controlled why should um, they be model of good works he says at the end of verse 8 so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us the same is given here a compelling motivation that the desire of the christian is not accumulation of wealth because if you're seeking to accumulate wealth you're setting your standard too low your if your ambition is to reach positions of power your aim is too low your goal should be to glorify god to behold him but that is your goal in whatever station that goal has called me at the end of verse 10 says that we may adorn the doctrine of god our savior see we want heavenly gain and not earthly gain we want glory for christ not cheap glory for ourselves the christian worker seeks to make christ look good in his place of work whether the employer recognizes it or not he's seeking to make christ excellent The motivation for the Christian is for the glory of God, to show Christ in his workplace, to walk in wisdom, to be able to, in mind and thought, bring pleasure to Christ. John Calvin says, we should render tasteless whatever does not edify. End of quote. Notice that this is not the doctrine of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. That's not our purpose. That the purpose of the Christian is to adorn the doctrine of God, the teaching of the Word of God. This brings sweetness with it because you notice that it dignifies all calling. Every position that everyone of us is called here is a calling by God and it has dignity. Even the lowest position in the world. Remember the, the Roman slavery. The slave had no right. It was the lowest position. But that lowest position, they're still able, as he says here, they're still able to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. They're still able to bring glory and honor to God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is not impressed with positions. The Lord Jesus Christ is impressed with purity. You are employed in the service of Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. Adon is where we get the word cosmetic. It's a word that basically means order. It is used in arranging something, putting things in order. That's how we are to live. If we are to be effective, Christians, there should be something attractive about us. But if you fail 
we dishonor the Bible. We discredit the name of God. And as we saw, the evildoers, the, 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 the evildoers will be justified to speak against us. They'll be justified to look at the Christian God and say, there's nothing attractive about our God. There's nothing precious about our gospel. Because these Christians are not any better. God is continually dishonored. This should be our concern to make the gospel more attractive. The Christian must conduct themselves in a way that the gospel is precious. That we are to work in such a manner that people are attracted to our Savior. Because our main concern is to glorify and honor Him. The world should be able to say that there's, there's something different about these Christians. There's something attractive about them. Because they're living for the glory of God. There's a story told of a minister who once preached on the text, Do Not Steal. The next day, he got into a bus. He gave the driver money for his fare. And on his change, he realized that he received extra money. Probably he could have thought, this is no big deal. But he told the driver, you've given me extra money. And the driver told him, I know. The driver told him, I did it on purpose to see what you will do. Because yesterday, I was in your congregation. And I heard your sermon. And he said of this driver that he came to faith and was baptized. You see, the people of the world can be suspicious of Christians. They may want to know whether you practice what you preach. <coughs> Christian workers, let us conduct ourselves in a way that does not contradict the gospel. In a way that makes the gospel attractive, more appealing, more alluring to the world. May God so help us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening. We pray that you may help us to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in the areas of our calling. Grant that you may forgive us in any way we have displeased you as regards to these instructions. Grant that these five characters may be embedded in us. We may constantly be reminded of what you instruct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.